Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Online Warriors podcast. We are coming to you this week with a very special episode, of course, because we are joined by one of our Patreon producers, Mr. Stephen Keller. Stephen, it's a pleasure to have you here. Welcome to the show. It is great to be here with you guys. Of course, I'm with you, Lady Six. I'm, of course, also joined. I'm going to say, of course, the whole time. I'm joined by Nerd Bomber and Tactic, who, yeah, you're, you guys are over there somewhere, right? Yeah, we're here and we are stoked for this episode. Well, I guess I'm speaking for Tactic, but he's got this stoked look on his face. So, yeah, I'm just showing emotion. The actual tone is more of a monotone. Stoked is a word that I feel like stoked got a bad rap at some point, right? Because it's got this surfer dude thing. You know, I have this whole thing going lately and I didn't realize I was doing it, but someone called me out on it recently where I'm like invoking all of these 90s and early 2000s words like stoked, dope. <laughs> I've, I've said rad in the last few weeks. I've said rad and it's just like, where is this coming from? I don't know. You said rad? I know. I, d- I don't know why. It just it happened. <laughs> I hope you were like in a business meeting. or something. She, uh, This is literally yesterday. She called me bra. B-R-A. <laughs> Well, it's actually, I think it's actually B R H. Yeah, there's yeah, an, there's H, an there. H at the end. Oh, that's much better. I prefer that. <laughs> yeah, otherwise you'd just be a bra, which very supportive, know. but you're not that kind of bra. <laughs> wow, there's there's wow. actually multiple first to that. I'm gonna reconsider what I just said. <laughs> well, it's in the edit. Uh, we're off, ladies and gents. This is look. If this isn't what you signed up for to listen to for for an hour, then. You should stick around anyways. It might change. It might get better. We're going to talk about things, too. We're going to talk about things that might interest you. We're going to be talking about a particular feature that has been added to the remake of Skyward Sword. So we'll get to that. That's going to be cool. We're going to talk about... We were talking before getting started here, whether the movie... And Stephen, I want your opinion on this. Do you think the movie is called Respect or R-E-S-P-C-T? How do you think it'll be marketed? It's Respect because there's no spaces between the lettering. There's no that's spaces, fair. there's no hyphens, no no dots. No, no dots, no nothing. We're going to talk about why I think that's a missed opportunity, but we'll, we'll certainly get to that. And then we're going to be talking about time splitters, which I don't know what each of our individual experiences are with that franchise, but there's some news on that front as well. So a little bit of gaming, a little bit of movies, a whole lot of fun, I think. So stick around. We are going to dive in, though to the producer selected topic and and steven thank you for bringing this to the table because i think it's going to be a great seed for discussion skyward sword now we talked about the skyward sword remake becoming a thing i believe we talked about it on the show i don't know how long ago it was it wasn't announced that long ago now steven you are a zelda man is that an accurate uh, representation i do like zelda i think i'm even more of an amiibo man which is kind of what the story's in regards to but yeah i've played all the Zeldas, I think, and I own yeah. them all. If you could ballpark, because I, I have a friend who has, I don't know how many Amiibos, but it's it's in the hundreds, let me put it that way. Uh, not to put you on the spot, but are you that into Amiibos? <laughs> um, I, have, I have all of them in the Smash line, plus all okay. the Zeldas, all the Fire Emblems, all the Metroids. Wow. Basically, okay. the only ones I don't have are the Animal Crossing and Monster Hunter. Okay, so... It's you're into you're it's into amiibos it well it might be a solution who are we to judge i feel like they look really cool though and it's no different than people have like pop figures and yeah that's a problem for me too the, i mean <laughs> I, I i don't know i have a special place in my heart for collectibles i'm just maybe i'm weird like that but i think they're really cool and 
the, all the detail that's put into all of these different figures, amiibos, pops, all those kind of things, like, I think it's cool. Plus, amiibos have the benefit of being functional. Right. Well, and, and the friend of mine who has so many, they go he, in his living room, they go all around. He has like this kind of, it's like a molding kind of thing up near his ceiling. And it's kind of like a little wedge that functionally, I don't know what else it would be good for, but it's the whole room's just lined with amiibos. And it's very, like, they're very cool. They're like these display things you can put on display and, and have this cool collection. So I, I don't own any amiibos. I don't frankly know 100% what their functionality is. And maybe you can, you can explain a little bit more. But the, the piece of news here, Skyward Sword. So I've also never played Skyward Sword. So I'm not a big Zelda guy myself. But uh, essentially, the gist of this is in Skyward Sword, you are either, you, you're typically, you have to go to certain points on Hyrule surface to go to the airborne overworld, so to speak, and fly around with Loftwing. This is how the original game worked. You had to go to the, it looks like I watched the video. It looks like they're these like little checkpoint kind of things. Whereas they're going to be uh, coming out with this Loftwing amiibo where anywhere, when you're on the surface, anywhere uh, you can put the amiibo on and the game prompts you to say, okay, you got the amiibo on. Let's just, let's do it. Let's fly. Which I had, I'm going to, yeah, I turn it over to you guys first. I have mixed feelings about this. As a hater of spending money, this is the kind of thing that if I was a Zelda fan, I would feel a desperate need to spend this money. And I don't know, like, I'll turn it over to you first, Steven. I mean, as a fan of the game, as a clear fan of Amiibos, this is probably a match made in heaven for you. For me, the Amiibo will just sit on the shelf. I probably won't use this functionality. Okay. Just because I'll forget that I have the Amiibo because it's in a different room than where I play. So basically it's just a $25. So basically you're going to need to buy two. <laughs> well, don't, don't put any ideas in, in his head. Um, yeah. I, I, I will say it, it looked, you know, I, I think the, the functionality that they're adding with this and the feature, as someone who has played games where you have to go to certain save points or go, go to certain locations to do certain things, and especially like playing a game like Horizon Zero Dawn, which I'm currently playing, having to travel around to get somewhere, that travel time can kind of be a drag. So I immediately see the appeal of this. But the, the, again, I watched the video of, of this working, and I'm going to use working in quotation marks because the Amiibo was activated or however you put it on a pad, I think is how Amiibos work. <laughs> um, again, I'm... I'm, I'm I'm not well-versed in, in Amiibos, but then there's like 16 prompts that you have to go through in order to actually do what the Amiibo is designed to do. And, yeah. and I, don't, I don't know if that's typical Amiibo use case for these things, but I remember thinking they're kind of neutering what they're saying they're going to do for you because you're still kind of going through a bunch. You're doing a lot of dialogue box checking and like going through. That was my feeling. Yeah, but you could it. speed through that. It becomes muscle memory, sure. But I think ideally what it would be is you put it on the pad and bam, you're in the Voila. Screen. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, Nerd Bomber, is this the kind? First of all, I don't know what your amiibo lifestyle is, but is this the kind of thing that you would you would be into? Knowing now, because I, I I guess Stephen, you said the price point is twenty five bucks, presumably. Yeah. So I so I've already pre ordered this, so I got mine oh, okay. from Best Buy already. It's been frantic for other people trying to get one. It's selling out everywhere instantly. Wow. So yeah that my biggest issue is the price because most of the amiibos they started out around ten dollars and they've kind of gone up to about 15 that's kind of the going rate right now so 25 is kind of a big jump for price right so presumably they they know they have you in some way they know they're like people are going to want this really bad 
So we're going to charge 25 bucks for it. I think that's why I didn't really get into the Amiibo game that much because I think part of it was price and that I'm cheap sometimes, but also the difficulty in obtaining them. Like a lot of the ones that I would have wanted sell out super quickly and I'm not quick on the draw. Like as evidenced by my tr- my ability to buy myself an Xbox Series X, I am not good at beating crowds, especially with online purchases. Well, I, think, I mean, come on. That's well, I mean, yeah, the, the new consoles are a little crazier, but I mean, Amiibo sell out pretty quickly, like Steven said. And I think the thing that kind of like, I think this is a cool functionality and I think it's a cool feature to add to the game. But it is kind of sad for people who may not be able to get their hands on an Amiibo that the only way that you can access this convenience feature is by having it. But like that's also kind of the whole idea behind the the Toys to Life and Amiibo thing in the first place. Like if there's no new feature that comes with that Amiibo, then there's some people may not want to buy them just for the collectability. So right. like I get it. Yeah. It's still it's sad for the people who may not be able to get an Amiibo. Because it does sound like a really nice convenience feature. Although with Skyward Sword, I don't know how often. Like, I feel like it's it's more, and I briefly dabbled in the game. I don't really remember a lot of details, but I feel like it was pretty, like, sectioned off. So it's not like it was that difficult to get to a checkpoint where you could fly, if I remember correctly. Well, and, and, and walk me through this. Sounds like at least one of you can. Are they like little islands that you fly around between? Is that what the situation is here? That's no, what I thought. You just fly down to the ground. So up in the sky where Skyloft is, is kind of the home base for Link and everybody else. And okay. then you go down to the ground and you just kind of go to the temple that you need to. And then I think mm-hmm. you just go get stuff up top in Skyloft to unlock oh, okay. new things. So it's home base, basically. Yeah. Interesting. So taking a step back into, you know, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? I think it could be both, but more importantly, I think it's a super smart business move for Nintendo as a whole. And the reason yeah. why I say that is because they know that there's a huge collector's market. They know that once mm-hmm. people start collecting, they're hooked. And so when you have these special features that they they can offer beyond the collectability factor, you not only get a lot of people interested in buying in this, but now you get them hooked, right? The You know? It's kind of like, right. here's your drug. Now you now, now you got to keep buying. And it, it's totally true because like uh, Nerf Me Bomber said. Me with any trading card ever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pokemon. <laughs> I'm still collecting Pokemon cards to this day. And I have ones from when they first started coming out. It's an addiction. And to be able to offer this is not only enticing people who are already collecting, but it's bringing people to start collecting. And it's bringing people who aren't collectors in as well. So it's just all in all, right. a super smart business move. And it's only going to further their sales on on these figures. Well, and and it's so it's collecting with functionality, right? Like, so Stephen, of the amiibos that you have, are most of them just kind of collectors' items, or do a lot of them interface with games? So, like with Breath of the Wild, all of the Zelda ones, when you tap them into the game, the crates would drop, so you get items. You can okay. get weapons. You can get. I think there's clothing items. A lot of the stuff's kind of more cosmetic rather than functionality changes. Like in Super Mario Odyssey, I think you get extra hearts. I think it just fills up your heart gauge, depending on so which So it's almost like you a, 
it's almost like a like a pre-order bonus you would get for a different game because i've i've pre-ordered games where they're like oh we'll give you this certain skin for your weapon kind of thing yeah. is it almost like that a lot of the time yeah i think for the most part yeah and then okay. other things are like with splatoon you can save out your character loadout and oh okay yeah it's kind of like what with smash brothers you can save your me fighter and your move set and all that kind of stuff to them because well, there was I, I i never got into the amiibo thing my and this might have been a wee thing do you guys remember skylanders was anyone a, a skylanders person because that was a thing for a little bit and that wasn't quite the same but it was these kind of like action figure collectible things that interfaced yeah. with the game i thought those were awesome yeah I, my little sister was really into them i want to say was Your Disney Infinity the same kind of thing? Yeah, um, I, I had Disney Infinity. Yeah, and that's a cool thing, right? Because when you, when you think about collector's items, taking trading cards for as an example, taking Pokemon cards and taking, you know, I have a brother who's very, very into magic cards. Like, they're collectibles with functionality, right? They're, they're cool to look at, but they also do something for you. And it's very, very smart for Nintendo to to involve themselves in this market. And, and where I was going was, is this the start of a trend? But it sounds like the trend has already been ongoing. I think the difference here is they jack the price up a little bit, um, which is interesting. I, I suppose you know, you know they're more they'd be more likely to do that given the prestige of the Zelda series and how important of a franchise it is to them. But then again, you could say that about any of these, right? You could say it about Metroid, you could say it about Smash, and those it sounds like are usually ten to fifteen bucks. So I don't know. Steven, is there anything else that I should or could read into that price hike? One thing I heard some people think maybe it's just Nintendo trying to get as much money out of this game as possible since a lot of people don't really like Skyward Sword. Yeah, I was going to get to that, too, because I'm, I'm, you've listened to the podcast. You probably know that I'm a Zelda outsider, and you've probably cursed the, the heavens in, in my name. <laughs> but is Skyward Sword the, like, kind of the black sheep of the Zelda family? It can be based on your opinion or based on collective opinion. I don't know. But yeah. I remember people were surprised that this was the one they were remastering. And maybe it's, it's almost like they wanted a second shot at it to make it really good. But I don't know what they were thinking. Yeah, for me, it was just kind of more of a gimmick release for the Wii to kind of show the waggle controls. Kind of yeah. finally gave you that feeling of... Because I think that came with the Wii Motion Plus. So it's kind of more that one-to-one accuracy with the Wii Mote. So right. it's kind of more showing off that functionality. Yeah, and I I had a similar again. The touchstone for me is always Metroid, and I remember Metroid Prime Three. They didn't do Wii Motion Plus or anything, but I remember thinking, "This is so gimmicky." It just, it just felt so gimmicky to me. I I wanted the more conventional gameplay that I was used to, and I couldn't get that. But I do remember, and I think when we talked about it on the show, Skyward. I remember that was a surprising choice for them, Skyward Sword, because it it's and you know remasters are interesting, right? Because people who are Zelda fans are going to buy it more than likely the same way that it, that people who are Metroid fans are going to buy a remaster no matter what it is, which, you know, we've talked on this show many times about why I think remasters should just always happen all the time. And I love them so much. And this is no exception, but the Amiibo move is interesting. We're going to have to see how it pans out, but it sounds like based on your commentary, Steven, it's already panning out pretty well for them <laughs> if they're hard to get. And, you know, Nintendo's weird about that, too, with a lot of things. I still remember how hard Wii's were to get. And that had nothing to do with supply chain issues like there have been with this generation of consoles. It just seems like Nintendo tends to squeeze demand a lot of the time on, on these sorts of things. I don't know if that's true of the Amiibo market, too. But I guess that means it's working. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
we'll check back on it, I guess. It's very interesting. You'll have to tweet at us and the masses, let you know what your experience is like if you ever do try out the, the functionality of this Amiibo. Yeah, I'll, I might try it once or twice. But. Just to say you have, you know. Yeah. Say, I, I got the $25 worth, worth <laughs> out of it. You know, that, that extra $10, I, I whooshed into the sky once and I'm good. Now it's going in the other room. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. We're going to shift gears a little bit now We'll kind of we'll kind of sandwich the video game topics. We'll save time splitters for after the break. We need to talk about about respect, and you're going to find out what it means to me. I, I when I when I say we need to talk about respect, I'm not quoting my dad. I'm not dressing down tactics, so to speak. No, this is a movie, guys. This is a Aretha Franklin biopic starring Jennifer Hudson. Uh, the trailer dropped earlier this week, and. I want to talk about this because we'll go around the table here, the virtual table. I don't think anyone would argue with Jennifer Hudson as a casting choice for this. Oh, absolutely not. I was taken aback when I saw the funny guy. Mark Marin? Marlon Wayans? Marlon Wayans. I was surprised to see him. Not dissatisfied, necessarily, but I don't know what the Wayans brothers are up to these days, but a biopic does not seem like his i i think it's interesting when when comedic actors and it often works when comedic actors are like i'm gonna go serious i feel like i've talked about this before but sometimes i like the comedic actors best when they do go serious like i feel like we just talked about this but like jim carrey and will ferrell some of their more serious roles are my favorite of their works because i feel like it just shows the breadth of their talent and their acting chops that they can make that pivot it, it fleshes them out a little bit more for sure. Uh, and like I said, I wasn't dissatisfied by it, but that was that was one kind of bullet point I mentally documented. The other one being just once. And, and you know, if you ask me, what do you know about like the Aretha Franklin, like her up and coming story? I don't know the first thing about it, which is on me. But I wish just one of these biopics would be like, you know, she it took her a while to be discovered. But after she was discovered, she was she was good. She there's no struggle with fame or anything. These biopics can be so depressing is my, the point I'm trying to make. Like, I feel like it's hard, though, because, I mean, we see time and again, even the celebrities and stuff that look happiest. I mean, there's a lot of well, yeah. and baggage that comes with fame. And I don't think it's smooth sailing for anybody for the most part. Like, I'm sure there are people who handle it better than others. But I feel like there's always some weird, crazy behind the scenes stuff that you aren't privy to as a regular well, person. Right. And I'm not trying to minimize that. That's not what I'm doing. I'm just saying that, like, if I want to watch a movie about the discovery of a world-class, once-in-a-generation talent, sometimes I want it to just be fun. And maybe that's an unreasonable <laughs> request. The world sucks, and it's hard, and you'll yeah. never get that. <laughs> I, I don't know how difficult Aretha Franklin's life was. I mean, you're going like to find it, out. Exactly. It looks like it was, and it looks like I'm going to find out. And it, it's it's probably for the best that I do, because there's a lesson to be taken away from that. But I just, it bummed me out when I, there's like one scene where it's like, okay, they're kind of like hinting that she had a drinking problem at one point. And I'm like, ah, yeah, famous. It's just a reminder that fame is hard for all of us that ever want to get famous. Not us. We're already famous. But if anyone ever wants to get famous, it just seems like it's going to come at some cost, right? I guess, so biopics, one of the things that I noticed when I was reading through comments and stuff on the trailer, because I mean, I'm kind of a fan of biopics. I think it's really interesting to pull back the curtain on all of these people's lives. I feel like, yeah, it's kind of a downer sometimes, but ultimately, like a lot of them end up triumphing. And I find it really inspiring to see like what they went through and the struggles that they faced and what they were able to overcome. I mean, in some instances, they never do. But in a few, they definitely obviously like 
get their act together in order to become successful. And I always find it kind of inspiring. But a lot of the comments that I was seeing was like, oh, this is just like an Oscar bait. Like, it does seem like this movie will definitely get a lot of rewards and stuff and awards and nominations and all that kind of stuff. But what are your feelings? We can kind of do like a roundtable on biopics in general. Like, do you think they're overplayed lately? Or do you, are you kind of like me where you're just enjoying the ride? I think there's been sort of a reasonable cadence where it hasn't been this overplayed. Th- I mean, we're not talking, right? We're not talking superhero movie, superhero movie, superhero movie. We're talking yeah. probably one every year, every other year. We've had, we have this Aretha Franklin one. We had the Freddie Mercury one. We had the Elton John Elton John one. And I think that's really it. And to me, well, it doesn't seem like a saturation. Those are the high profile ones. Yeah. Right, but you want to compare apples to apples here, and the B ones I wouldn't really say that really count. And I, and yeah, I, in I terms don't of think, like top tier compared yeah. to like the quantity of superhero movies we get in a year, I don't think that it's really saturated to say that you know this is something that's overdone. So over to Stephen, what are your feelings generally, and I guess what are your, also your feelings on on respect? I usually like biopics, but for like this one, it does look pretty cookie cutter. You know, you've got the Singer's unknown. She's really good. You can tell she's the talent of a group, but they don't get famous. All of a sudden, she gets a hit, and then the alcohol comes in, or the drugs come in, and somehow they overcome it. So this trailer kind of just showed you pretty much how the movie's going to lay out, and just kind of that formula for biopics, so... No doubt. Yeah, you're kind of touching on what I was going to say. You know, biopics, like Nerdbomber said, they often feel a little bit I don't want to say award baity because I doubt they set out to do that necessarily, Ugh. but they just they they seem to attract that kind of cinematic talent, right? You know, biopics. You know, the reason that they're done as often as they are, I, I technically I agree. I don't necessarily think it's an oversaturation problem, but the reason they're done as often as they are is because if you pick the right person to make a biopic about, there's usually a character arc that is easy to follow because it's established based on historical, you know, true events. But, you know, Stephen, what you said was what I was going to say, which is it's they're often these very cookie cutter things. And the the kind of double edged sword of being able to take a character arc out of true events is that people will know where things are going. Right. People watch Bohemian Rhapsody. If you know Queen at all, you, you kind of knew what was going to happen. You knew where it was going to go. And there are certain surprises along the way, certainly. But it's a tricky genre for me f- for that reason. I'm excited about the music that we're going to get out of this. I mean, Aretha Franklin, obviously, you can't, even if you replicate her, like Jennifer Hudson is going to do a great job, I'm sure. And obviously, she's not going to be Aretha Franklin. But I do wonder. I feel like we're going to get a good soundtrack. You know what I mean? Yeah. So did anyone here see Rocketman? Yeah. So that one, when it comes to biopics, I like it because it kind of kicked the formula up a bit where it's more of a musical they kind yeah. of have some fantasy scenes more over the top, like more big musical numbers that kind of made it just bigger. Yeah. They kind of mixed it up a little. And that's what kind of made that one stand out more than this fair kind of like walk. The, this feels more like a walk the line or yeah, yeah the standard biopics. I didn't I didn't actually see Rocketman, but I've heard it described as a jukebox musical, kind of in the sense that, like you said, it's it's a little bit more fantastical. It has more of a feel of a musical, which I think I would respond well to. The reason I didn't see Rocketman, you know, musical biopics, I think, also have the very difficult decision. And, you know, when you have someone like Jennifer Hudson, your decision is easier. But do you dub vocals or do you let the actors? Because, like, I, I believe for Rocketman, they let Taron Edgerton sing a lot of things. And I like Taron Edgerton a lot, but... 
I heard, I think I heard he did, he released a music video before the movie came out of him singing Tiny Dancer. And I'm, I was raised by one of the biggest Elton John fans in the world, my dad. I have a huge respect for what Elton John does. And I remember thinking, I can't believe they would do this. <laughs> and it upset me a little bit, perhaps more than, than was reasonable. But on the other hand, Bohemian Rhapsody, they actually, they didn't use Freddie Mercury's vocals, but they used like a, a Freddie Mercury impersonator kind of thing. And it was very yeah. easy to believe. And with respect, Jennifer Hudson will be very, e- whether they use Aretha's original vocals, whether they use Jennifer Hudson, it's going to be very easy to believe it. One thing I also wanted to, to touch on here. And I, I think one of the big selling points of this movie, just in the terms of like of drawing my attention and drawing my attention with the premise, can you imagine, Stephen? Maybe Stephen. Stephen hasn't sung for us yet, guys. Maybe he's got pipes. I, I, I don't. Can you imagine sounding like Aretha Franklin and sounding as good as she sounds and having, like I said, a once in generation voice? And it looks like she was not discovered for years. That just like to me, it's this. It's the movie is setting itself up to be this testament to like the fickle nature of an industry. Right, which isn't uninteresting, but again, I mean, it's a little, that, that's a little like depressing. Most people making it big in, you know, name the industry here, right? It's probably, yeah, largely in part chance. You could be the most talented person, but you're not in the right place, right time. Well, and it, you know, it's there's a chance element for sure. You can also, it seems like kind of the message the trailer was was putting across. Which Stephen, you said this, I couldn't agree more. And trailers have this problem nowadays in general, but it was like I was watching the entire movie, <laughs> and it seemed like the message they were putting out was like the reason that she didn't hit it big early on was because she wasn't singing the right songs. She wasn't writing the songs or I don't know what she wasn't writing the right ones. I don't really know what the deal was there, but it's just, it's, it's that's the most interesting part for me is like, how was she not discovered sooner? Cause it looks like she was singing at age 10 and people were like, how old is she? And it's like, she's so good. Well, I mean, I think songwriting is a huge component and this is kind of like a little bit of a tangent, but Songwriting is just as important, I think, as the vocal skills of the artist. Because if you don't have a good song, you can have the best voice in the world. But if the song doesn't resonate with people, it doesn't matter. And I mean, you see that with like Taylor Swift. Part of the reason why she's so popular is because her songwriting talent is incredible. Like the her ability to write amazing lyrics and that make people feel stuff and pair that with music and have it just turn into a cohesive song that works super well for so many people, that's a very rare talent. And I think that's just as important. And I think that's what the trailer touched on too. Like the song is just as important as the vocal talent in a lot of cases. Yeah. Well, I I think it's a mixed bag. You know, the example I always hear is like, I don't know if Justin Bieber wrote, remember that song, Baby? Justin Bieber wrote that he just says baby. Yeah. He was like baby. (laughs) So, so like it's, to me that's another kind of like it's a fickle industry but i agree songwriting like i can't think of any examples right now but i'm sure there's a, a singer out there who smokes 16 packs a day and sounds like a like a bullfrog or something but he or she is world famous because they can write a really really good song and you know with aretha franklin it might have been this thing where she didn't find her songwriting niche yet we'll have to wait and see and find out respect go watch the trailer if you haven't already if you're an Aretha Franklin fan, rejoice and uh, get ready for some show-stopping Jennifer Hudson vocals. So that brings us more or less to the midpoint of our show. And you know what time it is. I would be remiss if I did not give a shout out to our Patreon producers, one of whom is here in the virtual room with us. 
Stephen, thanks so much, first of all, for being here. Second of all, for continuing to support the show. We're super happy to have you, and we are super happy to have your support. Stephen and our other Patreon producer, Mr. Ben Checkness, who will also be on the show soon, support us at the night level on Patreon. As a result, they get access to the monthly secret segment and vlog. They get input into our weekly game segment, which tactic is hosting we'll see what that's about and of course they also get the occasional guest spot which is what steven is currently doing so if you want to be like steven or ben you can head over to patreon.com slash online warriors podcast for more of the details we also have a squire level which gives you access to the monthly secret segment and vlog and a page level which gives you access to the monthly secret segment so again patreon.com slash online warriors podcast thanks again to steven and ben we're going to take a quick break now to shout out a sponsor and we'll be back to talk about time splitters do you experience digital eye strain from too much blue light exposure from digital screens baxter blue glasses are not your average frames these blue light lenses filter 80 percent of the highest energy blue light eliminating 99 percent of glare the past year, we have all been glued to our devices more than ever, and I am definitely no exception. I bounce around from screen to screen with all of my gaming, social media, a lot of podcast editing, and sometimes it feels like I spend all day staring at screens. Our exposure to digital light has soared, and our eyes and our sleep are suffering as a result. Baxter Blue is also a force for good and provides a pair of reading glasses for someone in need for every pair sold. This is eyewear built for our digital age, and Baxter Blue is giving our listeners 10% off your next purchase of blue light, sleep, or kids' glasses. Click the link in our show notes for your exclusive discount. This is the sign that you have been waiting for to invest in blue light glasses. We know you will love your Baxters, and we know that you will feel the difference. Thanks again to Baxter Blue for sponsoring this week's episode, and now back to the show. All right, we are back to talk about time splitters. Before we talk about time splitters, though, I just want to just based on the ad read you just did. You edit a podcast, Nirvomer? I do edit a podcast. I did not know that. I know. Is it ours? It is ours. <laughs> Could you imagine if I just like edited a different random podcast every week? <laughs> well, I I thought we just we did it perfect every time. Like I didn't know there was any editing. We've never, as as I'm sure all the listeners know and assume, we've never once made a mistake on on this show. Absolutely not. Never, ever. It just goes into the can, just completely raw every week and goes out to your ears. There's, It's totally unfiltered. I shudder to think if that were actually the case. And this will be edited out. Yeah, this, this <laughs> may, this may be, for all I know, this will be edited out. Okay, t- time splitters. That was, that was fun, but let's talk about time splitters. So time splitters, I want to go around the room before I even get to the news. Are you familiar with time splitters, Stephen? Have you played? I've heard of it. I may have rented the GameCube one, Time Splitters 2, but that's okay. about it. Yeah, and you touched on an, uh, already an important thing. The article I have in front of me from The Verge says, Time Splitters, the acclaimed PS2 era first-person shooter. That offends me as a GameCuber <laughs> a little bit. Well, the first one the first one was PS2. The first one was PS2. Okay. Yeah, PS2 I, only. I, yeah. Yeah, I think Time Splitters 2... I, I had a friend who played and was kind of obsessed with Time Splitters 2. And you know, this was back in the in 2002. That's when Time Splitters 2 came out. So, you know, in that back in those days, I went over to his house and we would play split-screen multiplayer and I'll tell you what. I mean, there's a lot of games that did that, but I do remember Time Splitters 2 had it pretty well figured out. 
So, so Tectic, Nerd Bomber, are you time splitters? Have you split time before? I definitely... So do you guys remember... And this was a lot more common back when like digital wasn't really existent. And in the PlayStation 2 era, which I'm going to call it that because I was a PlayStation 2 girl. Okay, first of all, how dare you? <laughs> uh, but go, keep going. But they used to have like these... When games would get kind of old, they would like bundle them together in like a three-pack. And this is another blast yeah. from the past. But like at Media Play, they would sell like a bundle for $19.99. And I Did definitely... Did you just say the words Media Play? Oh, yes. Podcast? I said Media Play. <laughs> oh, I have no... What is Media Play? Yeah, that might not even be national. No, Media Play, it was like a... Is FYE you know, bringing FYE, it about? Yeah, it's like Is FYE. that national? Uh, we didn't have that here, I don't think. <laughs> it, it's basically... It was a music store. So I think they started as music stores. And then... I'm Googling it right now. So just keep They basically about. had all sorts of like entertainment stuff. They had yeah. like all of your entertainment collectibles, games, movies, music, CDs, all that kind of fun stuff all under one roof. And I mean, they've since closed and went under and were defunct. But After that is height, where... They I... operated 72 stores in 19 states with 2,000 employees. Founded in 1992 and defunct as of 2006. Yeah, so they, they were a thing. And they used to bundle like discount games basically games that were older into like a three pack for 20 bucks and you never knew what you were going to kind of get like they would show you the first game sometimes and the other two would just kind of be like hidden behind the first one and i remember i definitely got time splitters the og one in one of those bundles and i dabbled a little bit but i never really got super into it best buy bought them i'm on wikipedia guys yeah i'm looking um, at it too best buy bought them we had Sam Goody. Sam Goody was ours. That yeah, Sam Goody okay. is a good comparison for anybody out there who doesn't know what media play is or FYE. Yeah, I actually don't know. I've heard Sam Goody before, but I've never never seen one, certainly. It's kind of sad that all of these stores are gone now for the most part because it was super fun to just go in them and browse and you media would find stuff great. that you didn't really like Especially browsing music, like, I love how accessible music is these days, but there's nothing better than, like, going through a rack of CDs and cassette tapes. Mm. Well, and and what Media Play had going for it was, it was like Best Buy, but they also had books. It was like a Barnes & Noble and a Best Buy had a baby. And instruments. They had musical instruments. That's where I got my first guitar. They had a store called Hastings here that was that. Yeah, well, that's, that's actually listed in the Wikipedia Similar to Hastings Entertainment, Second and Charles, and Half Price Books. Haven't heard of any of those, but Mm. yeah, those stores are great. Time splitters, though. So we we all know what the deal is, it sounds like, at least to some extent. Guys, they're back. Their studio went under. I'm confused. I don't know if Deep Silver was their studio or Free Radical Design, I think might have been the actual studio, and they went under. Deep Silver is now bringing back Free Radical Design to make... I think it's Time Splitters 4. Yeah, it looks like it's Time Splitters 4. They last came out with Time Splitters Future Perfect in 2005, followed it up with a PS3 exclusive that did not do well, and then they, you know, they basically went under, but they're being revived. So I, I think the main topic of conversation here, I think we've talked about this a little bit on, on the show before, but, you know, if you're Time Splitters, are you coming back, c- continuing kind of this, this guise of, we're going to be a split screen? Can you be a split screen focused game anymore? I, oh, I think that's well i know what your opinion is but i want to i want to ask steven uh, most predominantly do you think a split screen pre- predominantly split screen game can exist and succeed as we live and breathe if you add the online play okay so that's got to be a, a component for you yeah still. well yeah mainly because i live alone 
so I don't have anyone to couch co-op with. Right. But yeah, I think I think it could su- succeed still. I think it's got a big enough cult following where it could do some decent business. It was very... I, I do... The other thing I remember about it besides the split-screen play was that it was very... And, you know, at the time, I was, I was 12, 13, probably. It had, like, this kind of tongue-in-cheek wit that 12, 13-year-old me found very funny. And I don't remember anything specific about it, necessarily, but... You also felt badass playing it because of the music. Kind of like it... Almost like Doom and Halo, where both of those had this unique soundtrack that just... You felt cool. That, that was what it did for me. It's a cool concept for a game, right? Because if I remember correctly, they're traveling through different eras in time, right? That's kind of the whole thing, and they're mm-hmm. working on some grand mission, uh, which you know, in the multiplayer split screen realm, just meant you could pick you could pick a map from medieval times, you could pick a map from the future, whatever. So it was a really cool playground to to work within, and we've already talked a little bit about remasters on this episode, let alone this show at large. So I'm certainly on board. It gives hope. To anyone who has a game franchise that which the studio went under, cough, cough, visceral, cough, cough, dead space, that you know they can come back if okay. possible. <laughs> Time, yeah, I'm coughing a lot. Uh, Time Splitters Four was first teased back in 2007. So look, we're last I checked, 14 years removed from that time, and here it is back again. So nothing, nothing ever dies. What I'm really interested. So like you had mentioned how. You know, you worked through different missions and they traveled through time. Obviously, that's the whole reason why it's called Time Splitters. But I distinctly remember in the first game, I believe, like they went to the year it was either 2019 or 2020, probably 2020, because it doesn't make sense for it to have been like an odd year, like 2019. They went to 2020 and there was a pandemic ravaging society. <laughs> we like, said that'll it's, never it's, happen. Is that too soon? Is that too soon for that, guys? But, like, I remember it feeling, like, super futuristic. And at the time when the game first came out, it was like, oh, 2020 is so far away. But now I'm kind of curious, like, if I went back and revisited that, like, what did they picture 2020 looking like? And obviously, like, nobody probably could have pictured what our 2020 really looked like. But in terms of technological advancement and how futuristic they thought our society would be. Everyone's wearing sweatpants. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, I mean, another canonical example of that, right, is wasn't in Back to the Future, he went to 2015, right? I think he did, like 2015 or 2016. And that was when he was on like the hovering skateboard yeah. and stuff. It is interesting, right? Where you, if you look back on, like, I'm, I'm sure there are a bunch of movies I've watched. I don't keep track of it, but I don't, I don't like go back and watch these movies. But even sci-fi in the 90s was like, by 2020, you're not going to believe where we are. There's just, there's just like a lot of like, when it comes to the future and technology, there's always this starry eyed optimism, right? Of like, yeah, we'll have cured cancer. We'll have invented flying cars. We'll have, you know, whatever. So I think it would be neat to see like in the new time splitters, how far into the future they go and like what they picture. Cause I always just find that neat, like in science fiction books or movies or anything, just seeing like what people think of the future and especially like the close future kind of like marking it down in my head and being like let's revisit this in like 10 years and see what actually panned out right i'll I'll have to look back because i don't know i don't remember what 2020 was like in time splitters 2 but it can't have been anything like what actually happened (laughs) i I wouldn't think so yeah time splitters is back that's the takeaway here i don't i don't know if there's a whole lot else to say other than that 
split screeners rejoice there will probably be an online component but i would imagine time splitters knows what it's about and they know i, I think they met they probably know if they're coming back they're going to have an online component i'm sure but they know that people might be coming back for that split screen chaos i love split screen chaos <laughs> i my split screen game was actually in which and again gamecube because gamecube was the way in the life nerd bomber just so you know medal of honor european assault that was one of my first split screen shooter games even before getting to like because like the 360 generation i did like call of duty and all that stuff but Mm -hmm. european assault because like i missed the boat on goldeneye which i know is like and like i think perfect dark was another one where they had this like split screen co-op or split screen multiplayer thing that i just missed that for whatever reason but medal of honor and medal of honor i think it's still going or they only recently petered out but european assault man they had it down to a science you know the next few years assuming that this game will probably come out in the next few years between that and perfect dark like for people who like the first person shooters of that era like it's going to be like a revamped little golden age of those re-releases yeah yeah it's exciting so steven you said you you live alone now but back in the day did you ever do any split screening since I'm slightly older than you guys, I was more of the N64, so it was always GoldenEye with the friend across the street. I missed I missed the GoldenEye. I think I went to someone's house. It was one of those situations. I went to someone's house, like you said, kid across the street. And I didn't play it, but I watched other kids play it. I remembered thinking I shouldn't be involved in this. It was it was a little <laughs> bit of like a taboo. And like the same thing happened. I had a friend in my neighborhood when I was younger and I went over to his house and he's like, let's play Grand Theft Auto. And I remember thinking, I am such a rebel <laughs> just for just for being just in this room. I mean, yeah, like I another one I remember Duke Nukem. I had a friend who had Duke Nukem. I was exposed to so many games of the shooting variety away from my mother and father's watchful eye let me put it that way and uh, i think i'm better for it unlike but. my parents or my dad just like handed me unreal tournament when i was five i was like here let's all play together <laughs> tanda team is like start practicing <laughs> yeah. i need i need a competitor <laughs> <laughs> so yeah time splitters be on the lookout for that no release date yet this is this is a pretty fresh announcement but like nerd bomber said we can hope for the next couple of years sometime so that brings us to what are we what are we up to what have we been up to on this lovely week in may steven as our guest we want to know what what you've been up to and you have the joy as a patreon producer you can go as far back in your memory there's no notes to check from last week for you you can say something you did five years ago if you want and play it off like it's fresh so that's a wide that's a that's a large playground for you but I'll, i'll i'll let you explore the space well, that is a lot of time I could pick from, but I'm going to pick something recent. I'm going to pick Camp Cretaceous Season 3. I don't know if any of you guys are... I've never heard you guys talk about Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. I don't know if you guys are fans at all So that franchise. Uh, Jurassic Park, huge fan. I got, I got off the boat. I've seen Jurassic Park 3. I don't remember much about it. Same with Jurassic Park 2. Jurassic World was pretty good. I got off the boat at Fallen Kingdom. I did not watch Fallen Kingdom, but I know Camp Cretaceous. This is animated Netflix series. Am I yes. have that right? Yeah. So it's a kid's show on Netflix. It's animated. Season one came out in September of 2020. So they're kind of just churning out these seasons pretty quickly. Wow. The first season takes place during Jurassic World. So it's about a group of kids that go to this camp to try to you know, test it out, make sure before everybody else opens up to the public. And in Jurassic World, just everything goes haywire. Then Dominus Rex gets out. And so the kids kind of have to deal with surviving on the island because their camp counselors run off. They get lost. 
So the whole first season deals with what takes place in Jurassic World. And then so with season three, it's six months after Jurassic World took place. And so the kids are just still just kind of working through, wanting to get off the island. They kind of found a boat that they think they can use. And then they kind of just typical kid show where stuff just kind of goes wrong and they kind of have to work their way out. and Shenanigans. Yeah. The show's kind of got the stereotypical, it's got the rich kid, it's got the jock, it's got the right. nerdy kid, the nerdy kid who's afraid of everything, the dinosaur know-it-all. So it's just kind of, I mean, it's got that kind of the same formula. So Which do you relate to? Oh, I'm Are totally the-, the, probably the dino nerd or the nerdy kid who's Joy. afraid of everything. So th- th- this is, uh, I think Jurassic World, it's still Ela Nublar, right? Or is it? Yeah, this is okay. on Isla Nublar. Which is a really great idea. Yeah, I assume the Jurassic World people had it first, but to go back to the original island, that's very cool. I'm, I'm curious. You know, you you, you mentioned that there's they get into shenanigans much in the way a kids show does. When I think of Jurassic Park, and and granted, they're all I think they're all PG rated, but there's a lot of like you know how like you see like an MPAA rating and it's like general terror or whatever. There's like this there's certain phrase that's like. It's not gore. It's not anything particularly bad, but it's just like, like frightening situations or something. There's some yeah. like vague phrase that I'm I'm punting for, but I can't imagine. Like I don't know how oh, how this, deep they go into that. This gets pretty like they never show anything on screen, but it'll be like the T Rex eats somebody off screen or behind a rock, and then right at one point in this season, there was actually you could see the blood on the teeth a little bit of the T Rex, but like everything, there is killings. But it's all kind of just off screen. You see the kids' reactions to it. That kind of sort stuff. of reminds me how in the mid two thousands, you know what I mean, the two thousand two thousand ten. I don't remember when uh, the Batman animated series yeah. couldn't show violence or gore or any of that. So they they were really clever with these flashes, these comic flashes that they would do that would be a punch, but technically the frame didn't show the punch. And oh. there's these 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 clever things that the animators it's a cheap did, trick. yeah, right, to to get past the rating, but also have it be gory and violent. Because it's you know t- to me when I think of Jurassic Park, I think of like the first thing I think of is that scene from the first movie where the girl is in the kitchen trying to hide from the Velociraptor, which like mm-hmm. fr- framing that in a I'm not saying it couldn't be done in, in a kitchen. I'm sure Camp Cretaceous does that or aims for that but it's just very interesting to me to think about that in an animated kids show context because it's this kind of like it's this scene that's designed to build suspense and adrenaline and that's not something you think about very often when you think about kids shows i think so that's very interesting is this a recommend for you like yes do it i mean just park's my favorite movie of all time so for me yeah it's a recommend i think it's it's an easy breezy show they're 30 minutes long, 10 episodes of season three. The first two seasons are eight episodes, so it's pretty bingeable. Yeah. I feel like it's an interesting concept, too, because, I mean, with Jurassic World, obviously they center on, like, the key characters because they can't show what happens to everybody else who is possibly there at the park on that day. But I feel like that's a really interesting thing to explore. and it Different perspectives exactly. on the disaster itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have to ask you, not not to not to carbon date you, Stephen, but did you see the original in theaters? Yep, fourth grade, right after school, opening night. I can't. I think we're actually around. We're close, close to the same age. Well, that came out in '94 or something, so yeah. not not quite. But 
I am so jealous is the point I'm trying to make because I still, you still read stories like on anniversaries, Jurassic Park, people talk about like, people were in the theater watching this movie and I don't know if this was your experience, but like when the T-Rex would show up, it looked so real and it was so visceral that people like literally stood up and screamed. Like it was this kind of religious cinematic experience for people because it showed what movies could do. And I'm I'm very envious of you for being able to experience that on the big screen for the first time seeing that had to be just a wild experience yeah it was pivotal for my movie fandom so yeah yeah very cool all right well camp cretaceous seasons one through three it sounds like are out and available on netflix so right on nerd bomber you're here you're over there what do you have for us this week i've got a lengthy one because strap in folks Mass Effect arrived, finally. Oh, no. I should have known. <laughs> should have known. Oh, God. I, it was one of those things I was so I'm going to take a coffee break. You just talked for a while. <laughs> well, I've had bad luck ordering games lately. Like, they don't come when they say they'll come ever. It doesn't matter if I pre-order or how, like, early in advance. Like, for example, we just bought a legal a copy of it takes two which this is very funny this is very funny because yeah tell the story i think it's so funny so you know knowing that i wanted to get to him for his birthday which is like the end of the month i literally ordered it at the beginning of the month and it was like you know four to six days shipping (laughs) two weeks went by never showed up so then finally like they had shout out to gamestop i'm just gonna call them (laughs) shout out to gamestop you guys are killing it (laughs) and then like part of the order arrived, but not that it was just like sitting in limbo somewhere. No one knew where it was. And then finally they were like, okay, we'll re- we'll resend it. And then that just sat in limbo for a little bit. And then finally it got to him. But the same now. thing kind of happened with Mass Effect from this is Best Buy, not even GameStop. Oh, really? So I'm just not having good luck. But it finally came. <laughs> I just think it's funny that it apparently it takes ordering two copies it takes two to get it takes two you have to order two copies they'll lose the first one and you'll get the second one so you finished i assume you you haven't slept in six days you know uh tactics just feeding you and you finished all of it right is that no unfortunately she's on tube fed (laughs) i've only really gotten a chance to dig into the first game and so i'll only speak to that like obviously i can't there's hundreds of hours of gameplay in here. I mean, there's three games. Mass Effect 2 alone, I remember when I first played it, it took me like almost a month of just nonstop playing to get through everything I wanted to see in that. So right now I'll just right. focus on the first one. And first and foremost, I am so happy to be home. And like, you can't see the air quotes I'm doing right now, but I am totally doing them. And like, when I booted up the game, there's an opening sequence to Mass Effect 1 where it kind of like, you you pick your character when you build your character, like you give it a backstory. There's different backstories you can choose from. And you're, you're among you're among friends. Did you cry? Did you cry? No, but I got the chills. I didn't okay. cry, but like I definitely got like goosebumps because just the nostalgia, it felt like I was immediately sucked back in time. And it was just like this weird feeling. And I've played other like remakes and remasters, but I think this game was just so pivotal in my video game fandom that being Wait, you're you're a fan of Mass Effect? <laughs> it it's, it sounds oh, akin to <laughs> When I when I watched the trailer for Star Wars Episode 7, it sounds like that. Yeah, it um, was just like this weird like nostalgic feeling, like this feeling of just going back home again, which was which was really interesting. So 
I'm playing this on the Xbox Series X. I mean, mileage will vary depending on what system you're playing this on because it's on like the last gen systems as well. But on the Series X, I mean, the graphics look really good, especially considering like this isn't a full remake or anything. This is just a remaster. And the game is almost like a decade old at this point, but environments and textures look super sharp. They've really kind of modernized it. They've made it more detailed. They've like updated the lighting. So things just look like more so like a game that you would be playing now. There are some things that are still a little janky, like particularly the character modeling of the humans. And this is something I always found, like even back in the day playing it originally, there's like an uncanny valley thing happening with the human faces. And that has not been fixed in the remaster at all. But I mean, again, you just have to keep in mind, like it's a reskin of an old game. And I don't know how it would feel if they completely changed the faces of characters, you know, like... Right. Yeah. It would it would be almost as jarring to see completely revamped facial modeling for all the characters. But I mean the aliens look fine because they don't look like humans. So you interface with a lot of aliens during the game, so it's can really you, not that bad. Can you turn on and off the you know, the old skin to the new skins? I mean it's I don't think so i mean it, there might be that capability i haven't dug into it because for the most part like the graphics are mostly left the same it's just like textures and lightings that have been updated to look more crisp more triangle she's, she, yeah. she's not gonna tweak she's just been she's just sitting there sobbing while playing it she's not <laughs> you know tweaking the options or anything like i said I, i'm sold if you're telling me there's more triangles i'm with you <laughs> i i've seen it cropped up a little bit on r slash game physics which for those that don't know is a subreddit that's like when game physics are broken or like there's weird bugs people will post screenshots it's one of my favorite subreddits in the world so if you've never been there go check it out you'll spend a lot of time there but like every high profile release winds up on there in inevitably for the first week or so of its release because there's but they're gonna they're put out patches and they'll fix bugs nothing has been especially heinous but i laughed when i saw it because i was like oh nerd bomber she's probably living her dream right now mm-hmm I mean, I I always notice bugs, but this game has like such a big soft spot for me that I just I'm just like, oh, it's fine. You'll look way past it, <laughs> I would think. I mean, and even like getting into gameplay type stuff, the first game, and I think because a lot of my memories of the Mass Effect franchise are really tied to the second and third games, and even those games in comparison to the first one, like the combat of Mass Effect One, is just a little bit jankier. It's more dated. I re- like I remember this. Yeah, and they've done some things to smooth combat out, like they shortened cooldown times for your weapons, they've kind of revamped the leveling system a little bit, they've improved a lot of the squad control mechanics, but still knowing that Mass Effect 2 and 3 still have better combat, it's just a little kind of rough to revisit Mass Effect 1, but like even still, I'm having a lot of fun, and the fact that a decade later, it still kind of holds up when you consider all of the different inv- advancements we've made in video game combat mechanics. Like, it's pretty impressive. So, yeah, for sure. I'm having a lot of fun with it. I mean, also playing it on the Xbox Series X, I know when they were talking about like the next gen consoles, which are now, I guess, current gen. They really, you know, spoke to how loading screens are going to be the thing that revolutionizes this generation. And one of the things that I distinctly remember in my Mass Effect experience is, you know, sitting in elevators that were basically masked loading screens. And 
that would be where like you would have dialogue with characters but with the next gen consoles you can just skip all of that like you can choose to sit through it and hear those dialogue options but as someone who's already experienced the game the ability to just blow through that and not sit there and like get pulled out of the immersion is super super nice so I guess what it boils down to is like still having a blast. It like the story and the characters are all incredible. None of that has changed. Mass Effect is like for me one of the best science fiction game writing experiences I have ever had the pleasure to play. Like the I don't think there's been any other series that has had characters written so well, a story that has like grabbed me like Mass Effect and man, I am just stoked. I'm having issues with my romance. There it is, options, there it is again. Stoked. I know. I'm just stoked, man. <laughs> it's, it's back. I do have a question for you guys, though. Sure. When you guys play a remake, because I'm struggling with this, mm. do you play it the same way that you did the original time yes. that you played it, or do yeah. you try to like switch it up? That's the question I was going to ask you. Are you playing Paragon or Renegade? What did you do the first time? Because so I played Paragon initially, which we found is easier to do. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, I played it authentically. I didn't spam space monkeys to get my Paragon points up. <laughs> but I, I found like I wanted to do it differently this time around, but I'm finding myself making all of the same decisions. And like, I can't tell if that's bad or good. I guess as long as I'm having fun, it doesn't matter. But like, I went in with the intention to play it differently, and I'm not. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I would not change. I haven't played Mass Effect all the way through, but I'm pretty sure I, my. I would make all the same decisions the same. When I have decision points in games, I do it very deliberately. And I don't think I would, on a whim, do do anything different. I would probably take the path of least resistance in most cases. And times like that's what Paragon is. I would want to be, in my heart of hearts, I want to be like a Han Solo character who's like largely good, but you can't really rely on him to be virtuous, you know, that kind of thing. But I don't know how possible that even is within the Mass Effect framework. I mean, it definitely is. There are some things that but are But does it show, it. I guess? I mean, like, it's... it's yeah, because I mean, your Paragon and Renegade points do add up and give you different dialogue options. But for me, and this is going to sound like, I don't know, <laughs> I guess I don't know what I think of myself, but like, I just cannot pick the asshole option ever when I'm playing a game. I just read the dialogue. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not that big of an asshole. I can't do that. Like, <laughs> it's just not in me to do that. Well, in, in Zero Dawn, a lot of the decision points are like, there's three icons. I think it's a heart, a brain and a fist. And it's heart is like you're compassionate, brain is you're smart and clever, and fist is you're just aggressive with people. And I always pick the brain, and not not because I'm like, oh, I'm really smart. I'm just like they they give you three options in a situation, and I'm like, this is the option I would take. And also like, I don't want to be too soft. I don't want to be too hard. It's also like kind of a middle of the road option a lot of the time. So, and I'm pretty sure if I played Zero Dawn a hundred times, I would do that all the time. I don't know. I don't know how Mass Effect does it typically. How how do you know? Do they label things like because Horizon Zero Dawn labels everything? That if if you pick a certain dialogue option, you know you're getting quote unquote brain points put towards your story arc. But I don't at know certain points, so like your main dialogue wheel, they're not really labeled, but you can kind of get a sense for what direction. Yeah, like you can get a sense if you're being a dick or not. Right. Someone like, asks, like someone's like, hey, pass that thing over here, and that like, gives you two dialogue options. One is like sure, no. and the other one's like go to hell it's like <laughs> yeah. okay i know what i know what this is but like there are some like as you get further in the game and you have more paragon and renegade points there are like blue and red options but those are only even enabled if you have enough points 
in one of those categories. So like you can be like extra good or extra dickish. <laughs> and it's easier to be good. I well technic things so according like, to the trivia. There's like a, yeah, a way true. you can spam, especially in the first Mass Effect. There's like there is there's different bugs where you tend to accrue Paragon points more easily. Because I would I would wonder if Mass Effect was like we don't want to foster people, we don't want to like make people want to be dicks, you know. So like maybe they would make it kind of like like Dishonored does that. Dishonored's like if you don't kill anybody, you have to work a little bit harder. But it'll make your life easier in the long run. You know what I mean? I don't know if Mass Effect kind of has that same mentality. It sounds like they do, maybe. I don't want. I know there's a lot of newcomers to Mass Effect now that this came out, so I don't want to spoil things. But there are definitely implications to your actions, and there are bad things that can happen if like you are talking, a yeah, bad guy. We're, we're, I don't think it's the spoilers. We're talking like people die and don't die, basically. Right? You, yeah. Yeah. Well, do you do you recommend it? I'm kidding. I know you do. <laughs> um, Absolutely. If you have, I'm going to hound you until you know, you finally play all three Mass Effects, like, you're going to be on your deathbed and I'm going to show up with a copy old. of Mass Effect and be like, so have you played this yet? <laughs> right. Well, I look forward to that day. Okay, Tactic, how's it going over there? My update's going to be significantly more brief, but the thing that I'm most <laughs> excited for of this last week is we had our first campfire of the season. And if you don't know anything about me, the one thing that you should know is that I love... Pyr pyromaniac. <laughs> I love setting things on fire. No, I, I love a good, <laughs> a good campfire between... We're not, we're not beer drinkers. We, we typically will make like a nice little mixed drink. It was, cocktail. it was gin and tonics around the campfire last night and a little bag of popcorn, some wieners to cook over the fire. You didn't make any, any, any Phil Collins? No Phil Collins, just okay. G&Ts. Well, I want to talk to you about, I'm going to go on record with a controversial opinion. I do this once an episode and the episode's almost over, so I have to do it somewhere. S'mores are overrated. I find s'mores to be messy. I'd rather just Very eat the true. marshmallow right off the stick. They're overrated. So true. The last thing I want to do at a campfire, first of all, when you're at a campfire, nine times out of 10, it's dark. And you have to assemble a tiered sandwich. One of the components it's very hard to manipulate without getting your fingers sticky, burning yourself. And then you taste it and you, you bite into a s'more, right? And the second bite, you, the first bite's fine, but then it kind of starts disintegrating in your hand and getting marshmallow all over you. And every time I do it, I invariably am like, why is this not worth it at all? I might be doing it wrong. I'll, I'll own that. But it just seems like more work than it's worth. And Steven, I think I heard you agree with me. Technic did too. I have this like sandwich toaster thing. And when you were saying it, I was, all I was picturing was the hard graham cracker. I wonder if just a s'more sandwich, like if you use like a sweet bread might be right. the. Don't they have that? Like it's like marshmallow puff or whatever that you can buy and you spread on. Yeah. No, I, I think, I think you got to use traditional marshmallows for what I'm, what I'm proposing here. So hear me out. You toast the marshmallow, marshmallow and get it nice on bread. You're good. You're done. Basically. Yeah. You toast the marshmallow, get it nice and, uh, nice and golden brown. Right. Mm. Then you take your sweet bread. I don't know what kind of bread yet, but let's just oh, call it sweet this. bread. Oh, I got this. This might be now. like a diabetics nightmare. Just everyone just calm down. Wait, just no. everyone just please calm Fried down. Fried dough. Pound cake. Oh, I was going to say pound cake. Fried dough would be good You too. just get a sweet bread, be it fried dough, pound cake, whatever. You put your melty marshmallow on there. You put your chocolate on there. And then this thing I'm talking about, it clamps it on both sides. It's got like, 
It, it looks like press. a toaster oven on this hol- holder stick that you clamp. Then you put that in the fire. So you, you get your marshmallow stays gooey. Your chocolate gets caught up to the party because whenever I jump bite into a s'mores, the chocolate's never melted like how you want it. It's so you got to catch it up to the party. And then you have a bread that's somewhat malleable. So you're not just like eating dust after your first bite this is I mean, it they, guys we figured they, it out well they have these like they have like those those sandwich pan things that th- these exist where you can put them over a fire that's what i'm like, referring to it's like a clamp yeah. and it's just like almost like a, a box with a wire mesh on both sides because you want the chocolate to be melted and at least you if do. you're meat my marshmallow be. is not hot enough like i go golden brown and i put it on there and it's on there for about two seconds before i eat it Cause I'm just gonna sit there holding us more like a moron. Waiting All right, for so we're gonna try to this and report get, back. Yeah, get back to us. Um, also, I'm happy happy to hear. Are you, you're not one of those people that just you put a marshmallow on a stick and you just put it, you just light it on fire. I can't stand those people. It bothers the Oops. hell. And Stephen, I'm sorry if this is, if you do that. It bothers the heck out of me. What like? <sighs> I am always the first person to put my marshmallow on and the last person to take it off. That is a rule because I am slow and steady. Yeah, I mean, ladies, I remember that. <laughs> there's a, I, I, my opinion is there's a right way to cook one and a wrong way to cook one, and that's the wrong way. We can leave it at that. I don't know. Let us know about the s'more sandwich thing. For me, just give me the chocolate. That's all I want. Right, and that's well, and that's also what inevitably happens for me is I'm like I have one s'more and I'm like, all right, let's cut out the middle, man. Yeah, just I'm in this for the chocolate. Okay, uh, tactic. Does this conclude our broadcast update for you? Yes, I will report back with the results of my sweetbread sandwich. Keep me updated. My update is also pretty short. I just want to—I want to recommend a, a television show. Uh, I finished Game of Thrones season one and the first book, but that's kind of retread territory, so no big, no big deal there. I will say, and this look, Game of Thrones is long over, so I don't, I don't feel any qualms about spoiling anybody. The way that Cal Drogo died was just really annoying to me. It really bothered me. Steven, you're laughing. I don't know if that means you agree, but it's, he got a paper cut and it got infected. That's basically what, <laughs> like, that's what happened to me. It's like, he's this big beefy warrior guy and he's very, he's, he's feared by the world over. And then he get, he fights some guy over a woman or something and he gets paper cut and he gets infected and he dies. And I was like, are you, you're kidding me. Now you have that's, me worried because I have a paper cut on my thumb right now. Well, just don't put like, cause in the books you talk about it, obviously. And in the, and they show it in the show back in medieval times i guess you know game of thrones is fictional but like they just like put mud on it it's like why is that what what makes you think that's gonna work i don't know wasn't that a thing though like yeah, back in the day yeah like, yeah like, it's like like salves and stuff like you put herbs in it but like at the end of the day it just looks like you're rubbing dirt in a wound doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't seem like it should be right but anyways i finished game of thrones i started watching another show even though of course game of thrones will continue but i have to catch up in the books first i'm watching mayor of east town which I very strongly recommend. It's currently five episodes are out out of seven that will come out. They come out every Sunday it's on HBO Max. If you, the touch point, if you liked True Detective season one, you're going to love Mayor of Easttown. I think it's fairly similar in the sense that it's a compelling mystery slash crime story. Every character just like sucks really hard. Like no one is a good person, which not necessarily fun to watch, I guess, but it's, it's very compelling. It's not it's not a light show. There's funny parts, but it's not like a very light show. So you kind of know what you're signing up for, I guess. But could not recommend it more highly. So yeah, it has Mayor a 92 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So that's pretty good. One particular note I want to make about it is 
the accents in this show it takes place in like east town is like in pennsylvania near philadelphia and the accents in this show are just like out of control like they're they're very i'm not i haven't been to i've only been to philadelphia one time but the accents are i can tell they're authentic just because of how intense they are and like if you read the imdb trivia they talk about like like kate winslet is the main the lead actress and she's also the producer on the show like the second person she hired was a dialogue coach to like make sure the accent was right because as she saw it as very important because it's like this it's, it's very like community driven the entire story so they wanted it to be authentic and holy crap it is i don't even like it's it's almost like it's it's called the delco accent it's the delaware county in, in pennsylvania and it's almost like certain accents and i can't even put my finger on which ones but i know new york is one of them like they came together and had a child and it's like at times it's like grotesque the vowel sounds that they make <laughs> but it's it's fascinating to watch it's well pulled off by every single actor or actress on the show is there a lot of a's and w's or no yeah it, there's it's a little bit like long islandy like there's like there's a little bit of like coffee talk kind of thing uh, but yes. it's it's not just that it's like like i said it's like if that came together with like i don't even know what it like is. chicago maybe a little chicago a little bit of like fargo north dakota kind of thing where the o's are very weird like one thing they say water 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 yeah, like water instead of no instead of water they say water yeah water just, that's what i said it's a lot of like weird stuff like that uh it, honestly it is worth showing up just for the accents and that's not a joke uh because it's the, the acting is very good especially considering the fact that like kate winslet is a great actress and she's like acting real hard emotionally like she's making you feel things and she's also just speaking in what might as well be a foreign language some days uh, i wish you guys knew me with my accent before i, I suppressed it i like the current version of you uh <laughs> but but i think if you went it would be interesting to listen to much like mayor of East Town is i think so keep us updated on that i guess if your <laughs> if your accent comes back well I'll, I'll, i assume i'll probably find out pretty quick but that would be cool i wouldn't be against it Suddenly on the podcast, everyone's like, why does this guy sound like he's from Jersey all of a sudden? So yeah, Mayor of East <laughs> That's Town. why I suppress it. <laughs> um, so, uh, okay, we're, we're going to move into the quiz now. Who's the host? Me. Tactic. Okay, Tactic, your show. I'm excited. So today's quiz topic is Dalmatians. And so we're going to get right into it. But Stephen, you're going to start with the answering. Would it be so wrong if I question, just said 101 for every answer? That would be perfect, honestly. <laughs> it would be very wrong because my first question is a percentage. Oh, good percentage. So, I mean, Dalmatians, you could still say 101. Could. And you would be guaranteed to bust. <laughs> so, That's Dalmatians his That's his have, prerogative. have a genetic disposition to deafness. About what percent of Dalmatians are deaf? I'm going to go with, I know it's, I feel like it's high. I'm going 65 what percent are deaf? Also, you didn't really say the order. What percent are deaf? Correct. I'll, I'll give Nerd Bomber last ups. I don't think it's that high. I'm tempted to say 101 just for the joke, but I'm not going to. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna play the, play the gaps. Uh, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna cut 65 and half, 32 and a half. There's some quick math for you. <laughs> I went to, I, look, I went to college. So now we're on to Nerd Bomber. 32 and a half and 65 are what you're playing against. You know, I'm going to cut that in half even further. <laughs> wow. And, oh, man. Oh, I need I need a calculator. 32 and a half cut in <laughs> half is 16.25. Yeah. I'll save you the calculator. Okay. 
I, I will do that. See, I told you I'm so bad at math. Uh, 16.25, because I feel like it's a lot. I mean, compared to other breeds, that would probably be a lot. But if it was so high, you'd think people would just stop breeding them, right? But they're cute. So while, I mean, yeah. while Illegal was the closest, he did bust. Oh, come Ooh. on. And so Nerd Bomber takes it. It was 30%. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Which is still significant for a dog to be deaf. I don't know why we even do these quizzes. Let's continue. Aren't you, le- aren't you leading right now? <laughs> That's not the point. That's not the point. I think I am. I'll have to check the tape. But Okay, so Nerbomber's on the board. The next question is, in what year did Dalmatians become the mascot for the Budweiser Clydesdale team? Okay, and I'll, I'll go first this time. We'll rotate first steps. Oh, boy, the Dalmatian is the Budweiser class. This is this was in the 80s. Of that, I'm confident. I don't know why. Uh, 1984. This The George Orwell situation. 1984. That's my answer. I feel like it was earlier because Dalmatian, like the 101 Dalmatian story, I feel like obviously we know the Disney version of everything, but like it's a relatively old story, I thought. I'm going to say 1930. I don't know why I feel like it's recent. I'm saying 92. Wow. Okay. So Nerd Bomber is way down there. We're... All right. So two out of three people busted. Oh. It was 1950. So that's Come another on. point for Nerd Bomber. Man. I might, I might get to use my sweep sound. For the, what I mean. For, <laughs> it's just for not the, fun. For the 101 Dalmatian fangirl in the group right now, she is holding true. She's a fangirl? Are you... Nerd Bombers is true. Oh, a hundred percent. I, as a kid, like I almost feel bad for my parents because shit you not, I had a hundred and one stuffed animal Dalmatians. I that remember this life. story. Yeah. You actually I, I had a hundred and one? I mean, it, if not more, it was a lot. <laughs> a ton. It's a little concerning actually. Uh, well, yeah, I guess that means you're qualified to be performing the way you are. Uh, okay. Tactic, how many questions? How There's much three chance? Left. Do you... Oh, cool. <laughs> okay. Steven, we got to put our yeah. pants on. So, interesting fact is it is sort of unknown where exactly Dalmatians originated from. However, there is a first known record of Dalmatians. When was this first known record from? Okay, Nerd Bomber's up first. In year. What year? I feel like they were big in Europe. Like, I I can't remember this offhand. I want to say that I know that they were used as like some kind of herding animal or like a sheepdog because they have a lot of energy. I'm just trying to spit dalmatian facts that may or may not be true at this point i'm gonna say like 1800 okay steven um i was thinking 1400s okay uh are you gonna say 1400 or are you gonna go let's do any more specific 1447 okay i like it i like the style uh yeah th- this is i think nerd bomber's too late Stephen, I think I my feeling is you're awfully close. It couldn't have been like medieval times or like the Middle Ages because someone would have taken one look at a Dalmatian and been like, "That's a that's like a witch," you know, like witch <laughs> stuff. Which also like Salem witch trials were like the 1600s, but by that point, I don't know if dogs were a concern or it was just the witches themselves. I'm gonna go 1650. Get a little bit for, uh, distance from Salem. Okay, so this is this was quite a busty question. Every single person bust. Should have said 101. Should have said 101. Oh, man. (laughs) So the first known written information about the Dalmatian dog is from 1374. Oh, so you were really close, close. Stephen. Extremely close. When Bishop of Decavo Peter mentions a hunting dog from Croatia, mostly from 
Dalmatia with short white hair and black round spots on various parts of the body. And he called him Canis Dalmaticus. And he said, that's the devil's work. (laughs) I maintain that's probably what happened, but fair enough. Just because it's the devil's work doesn't mean someone couldn't write about it. Okay, so we all busted, which means now either Steven or myself has to get a perfect two out of two to even tie Nerd Bomber. The sun's getting a little low for us, but let's we'll, we'll, we'll press on. So in the 101 Dalmatians movie, how many spots appear in the movie? And this is over the span of... 11, oh, th- uh, sorry, of 113,760 frames. So what I mean by that is each frame is going to have X amount of spots. Within that 113,000 frames, how many spots total? Across Holy the whole movie. crap. <laughs> All right. Steven, this is time to, wh- time to whip out your 101, but oh, make it per frame. Yeah, I bet I that was the gimmick. I don't want to help you. So I guess I'm figure like, out how many spots on average per frame. How many frames were there again? Is that a cheating? 113,760. 113, <sighs> this is a great question, by the way. I'm going to go with 101 million. Okay. Yeah, that's... I like it. It's a pretty good answer. Well, I don't know how... I, I haven't seen that movie in a minute. I know I've watched it at some point. Wait, are we talking animated or live action? We're talking animated. Okay. I have to go over 101 million wait do i oh gosh it's a big number it is a big number i have to go under 101 million the more i think about it i'm gonna go i'm gonna be conservative and i'm gonna go with 1 million okay nerd bomber don't you dare (laughs) i'm going to go with 10 million a (laughs) hundred (laughs) thousand i like it so two out of three are you busted (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh sweet that means i got it right illegal gets it it's six million four hundred and sixty nine thousand nine hundred and fifty two spots sweet i'm still alive this Just is what we for... do guys we we have guests on the show and we we do a quiz and make them look like fools yeah it's just we just <laughs> we beat them senseless with knowledge okay i'm still alive and when there's one question left, so the, the world, I can feel the world sitting on my shoulders, but let's, let's finish this out. What do you got for me, Tectic? The average height for a Dalmatian is 23 inches. What is the record for the tallest Dalmatian? 23 inches and the tallest. This is like a Clifford the Big Red Dog situation. This is going to be a huge number. 23 inches is the average. Are we talking up to like the back? 23 inches seems like nothing. They're not um, standing up. It's on, on all fours. Right, but it's not up to their head. So it's like up to the top back. of the head or the yeah, the spine. Yeah, I, I would think it's the back based on the twenty three inches. The back, bigger. yeah. Uh, okay, uh, you want the answer in inches? Uh, please. Okay, seventy seven. Lucky number seven. Huh? Yeah, you heard me. No, I'm. Hmm. I know what you're thinking. What a perfect answer. I'm just trying to visualize, <laughs> and I don't know why I'm struggling to visualize how big a Dalmatian is. You know what? I have nothing to lose. 101. That's a big boy, though. (laughs) That's the answer of a person who has nothing to lose, guys. Oh, man. I'm going to go with nice 48 inches. Yeah, the more I think about it, 77 inches is but more than six feet. Yeah. Yeah. I I think I might have. I flew a little close to the sun on that one, but let's see what Tactic says. I mean, you guys know what I'm going to say. Two out of three of us. Two out of three of us busted. No, you all busted. It's a busty answer again. (laughs) Is it like 24 inches? Because I'm going to punch you. I swear. 
It's 23 and a half inches. No. The tallest is 42.6 inches. Dang it. So, Stephen, you were actually very close. Yeah, that's that's two questions that Stephen, by the, by the hairs on his chinny-chin-chin, went over. I had um, one more question for funsies. If we want to do it, you can. It is, Pongo is the father in 101 Dalmatians. Mm-hmm. How many spots does he have? 101. Duh. Believe it or not, I knew this once upon a time, <laughs> but I don't anymore. Oh man, Nerdbomber, your brain space will be put to so much better use. <laughs> well, I think <laughs> I think that brain space got overwritten at some point because I don't remember though. anymore. <laughs> I know. I'm gonna say sixty. Dang it, that was close to mine. I'm gonna go with sixty-seven. I appreciate that you didn't say sixty-one. Oh, I thought I about like it. it. Very classy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, say what you will about about Steven, but he's played a clean game, folks. So Steven actually got that one correctly. The answer was 72 spots. Wow. Slightly, close, slightly more than the amount of spots that Perdita has at 68. <laughs> Maybe I was thinking Perdita when I said 60. I'm sure Weirdly, that's what it was. I don't know why I know these. I was a weird kid. I really Me neither. Like Dalmatians. <laughs> yeah. uh, and you followed into a weird adult. <laughs> <laughs> well, there there you have it, folks. We are knotted up again at the top of the quiz tracking rankings. Nerd Bomber and myself both at seven and two. Technic at four and four. Steven unfortunately falls to zero. Living a balanced one. life. <laughs> um so Nerd Bomber will be hosting next week, which well like let's be honest, I'll probably retake the lead at that point because oh. Technic doesn't often show up for wow. these things. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm I'm trying to gas him up, guys. This is a uh, motivational strategy. Fighting words. We'll see if we'll see how he responds. <laughs> then this brings us to the end of our episode. We want to thank Stephen again for being here. Stephen, thank you so much for taking the time and and sitting down to chat with us. Any words of wisdom or shameless plugs that you want to leave the listeners with? I don't I don't have much for wisdom. Yeah, I don't think of anything right now. All right. Well, if you think of anything, I'll tweet at you. Yeah, which I didn't. At OW Lady Six, at OW Nerd Bomber, at OW Tactic, at Online Warriors One. I actually didn't shout out our handles that entire episode. We're getting it in at the at the wire here. Thank you all so much for sticking around with us, listening to us. We appreciate it. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Hit us up on Twitter at the handles I just mentioned, and we will talk at y'all in a week's time.